Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 112, and today's guest is Anant Agarwal, founder and CEO of edX and professor at MIT. Anant is the very definition of a serial entrepreneur. Over the course of his career, he has founded five companies, including Telera Corporation, Virtual Machine Works, and others. In addition to being a successful entrepreneur, he's also a professor at MIT, where he teaches electrical engineering and computer science. edX is a nonprofit company that is changing the world by bringing education to the masses through its open source online learning platform. Founded by Harvard and MIT, edX is home to more than 20 million learners, the majority of top-ranked universities in the world, and industry-leading companies. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Anant's background, including running a chicken farm as a teenager and what that taught him, a journey through his experience as an entrepreneur and the companies he founded, the story of edX, its evolution, and the massive scale of its platform, current plans for hiring and growth at edX, what areas of education are still ripe for disruption, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. Whenever someone asks me who are the fastest growing tech companies in Boston or New York City, I simply direct them to our biz pages. From there, you can do a virtual tour of each tech scene and explore over 280 companies. Each biz page tells you everything you need to know from a high level, like the details on the company, culture, job openings, leadership, and so much more. Go to venturefizz.com backslash biz pages to start exploring. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Anant. Anand, thank, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you very much for having me. So, Anand, I was excited to talk to you because we have a lot to cover with all the amazing things that you've done throughout your professional career as an entrepreneur and, of course, all the great work you're doing with edX. But uh, to start things off, your roots as an entrepreneur actually go way, way back to when you were a child. There's something about a, a chicken farm, correct? Oh, yes. Uh, you know, when I was uh, in, uh, in early high school, uh, you know, I tried my hand at uh, various entrepreneurial activities, and one of them was uh, I had a uh, I had a chicken farm. And at one point, uh, I think I must have been uh, I don't know, thirteen or fourteen years old. Um, I was rearing about uh, forty chickens uh, in a little uh, shed uh, in my in my house with all the you know the chicken wire meshes and all of that stuff. Um, it was uh, was a real blast. I was collecting about forty eggs a day <laughs> from my chicken farm. <laughs> That's awesome. And then, so what did that teach you? Well, you know, um, you know, I like to joke that uh, it taught me a couple of things. Um, uh, you know, as a you know, as a joke, I remember I, I had these forty eggs in my hands every day, and uh, I initially tried to sell them. Uh, you know, we could only eat so many. Uh, my parents were vegetarians, and uh, my my two bro- brothers didn't like eggs, and so uh, we ate about two eggs a day. So what do we do with the rest? So I would uh, try to sell them to my neighbors, and uh, uh, that B2C approach did not work quite well. And then I discovered a, uh, a, a restaurant where, uh, you know, they, uh, I discovered a restaurant where they bought the whole thing from me. And then on a regular basis, I was selling them, uh, you know, 40 eggs a day. And uh, so, uh, you know, I like to joke that I discovered a B2B, uh, <laughs> B2B business very early. But more seriously, my uh, early entrepreneurial activity I think gave me a, a love for hard work. You know, I would wake up at uh, at uh, you know four or five o'clock to collect the eggs before the chickens woke up and and walked around messing up all the eggs and uh, you know dirtying up the whole place. And so, uh, you know, really hard work, uh, caring about things, uh, making sure that I follow through and 
And uh, it really made me focus not just on an idea, but also what does it take to execute on an idea, particularly when you had 40 living things that you were responsible for. So uh, just a follow through and, and execution and, and, uh, and uh, really, really taking something to completion uh, really brought that uh, focus on execution. Well, that certainly did translate well into, you know, your career. So when, you know, how did you actually, you know, you started out, you know, building tech companies. Can you walk us through kind of your experience there? Because, you know, as a serial entrepreneur, there's, you know, multiple companies that you've, uh, you know, built. So if you could walk us through those, that would be amazing. I've started five companies and uh, I've been somewhat of a serial entrepreneur, uh, both chip, uh, chip startups and also uh, uh, software, software companies. Uh, my first company was a company called Virtual Machine Works, where we built a uh, huge infrastructure, both hardware and software, uh, that um, we built to test silicon chips. And uh, that is still in use today. The company uh, was acquired by, uh, through a series of acquisitions, ended up with uh, uh, Mentor Graphics. And uh, the logic emulation system, as it was called, is still sold in the market, uh, you know, uh, market today. Uh, that was in 1993, 94. So my students and I, my students and I at MIT formed the company, and uh, we built this uh, uh, this product. Uh, we raised money from VCs uh, in order to do that. The one company, uh, my most recent company before edX, was uh, Tylera Corporation, was a chip company um, that. Uh, uh, built a multi-core chip with a large number of cores and uh, had both, we built the operating systems, compilers, software systems, networking, and the chip itself. Uh, and again, uh, uh, raised a lot of VC money for that. And uh, uh, the company was uh, acquired and uh, today uh, is part of uh, NVIDIA. And so uh, I've done a number of, uh, number of companies along the way. And uh, uh, edX, you know, uh, this is frankly my first uh, nonprofit uh, startup. Now, you also in, in this time, you know, so you've been building companies, but then you also got deeply involved, you know, before edX and academia. So, how did you become a you know a professor at MIT and teaching electrical engineering and computer science? So, I've been teaching electrical. I've been teaching electrical engineering and computer science at MIT for uh, you know thirty one years, and along the way, uh, MIT makes it very easy for professors to, uh, to take a leave of absence for a couple of years and start a company uh, along with the students. So this is very highly encouraged at MIT. And many of my colleagues have had very successful, uh, you know, uh, successful companies that they've started over the past many, many uh, decades. And so at MIT, I teach electrical engineering and computer science. And uh, uh, I was also the uh, director of the computer science and uh, AI lab at uh, MIT. And with the, like I'm always fascinated by the. It's referred to as is it C sale now? Is that the right way to pronounce the acronym yes, uh, for? Yes, the computer uh, science? it's it's uh, it's C sale. C sale. Uh, yeah, okay. I just want to want to make sure I had the acronym right. That's right. Um, so. It, you must, it must be fascinating just to see what the students are working on at CSAIL because like I've met some of the students and they're obviously incredibly intelligent, but there must be so much um, just advanced thinking there. You know, MIT is just a great place uh, where uh, um, everybody's thinking uh, deeply about things. And, uh, and, and I think one of its differentiators is even as a young professor and even as you work with students and colleagues, uh, there's a constant there's sort of a constant theme in the air about being radical and not being incremental. And uh, if it's very incremental, you know, at MIT, the culture is that maybe it's not worth doing, let someone else do it. And the culture is one of doing um, radical, wild and crazy things. And, you know, I like to joke that uh, 
uh, being crazy at MIT is normal. <laughs> and so, and so you know, crazy in a good way. And so, um, you know, so we would think uh, about kind of technologies and ideas uh, that might be, uh, that might come to fruition 10, 20, 30 years down the road and uh, may not necessarily have uh, sort of a payout in two or three years. So uh, incrementalism uh, was not considered a great thing, but certainly being uh, visionary, being uh, taking huge leaps and huge risks and trying to do foundational work was considered very important. Mm-hmm. Now, edX, um, you know, obviously incredibly meaningful work, what, what you're working on there as a nonprofit. How did, how did it all come together? Like, what's the background story of the, the creation of edX? So it's, it's another example at MIT where, where uh, as, uh, uh, you know, a lot of professors um, have been experimenting with all kinds of online mechanisms. And MIT had launched MIT OpenCourseWare, which launched the whole... Uh, uh, OER, the open uh, open courses movement, in uh, you know about almost twenty years ago, around two thousand, and uh, um, a lot of folks at MIT, myself included, um, had been brainstorming and thinking about uh, how we can apply technology to education. Uh, many of my colleagues had been playing with online learning. You know, professors like Eric Grimson and uh, Tomas Lozano Perez. Uh, in the late 90s had come up with this concept of interleaving uh, short quizzes, uh, interactive exercises between videos and creating these active learning sequences. I mean, these are all simple ideas, but in my mind, edX leverages a lot of those ideas. And and, uh, in retrospect, uh, those were very incredibly novel ideas. Uh, But following OpenCourseWare, a lot of thinking about how do we apply technology to education and I myself had been experimenting with it. Um, I built a virtual lab called WebSim. Um, and if you Google MIT WebSim, you'll come to the site where, uh, you know, uh, my students and I built this lab, a virtual lab, where I told myself, this was in 2003, where, where I told myself that if I'm not able to teach labs online, then it's really not worth dabbling in online education because, you know, if you can't do labs and building things, then you're only doing part of education. So we built WebSim, which is an online circuits laboratory. And, uh, you know, uh, on the average day, there was a point where uh, two or 300 students from all over the world would come in and be doing this virtual lab where you would build circuits and, uh, and you would try uh, feeding in various inputs and seeing how they sounded, all completely in a virtual computer environment. And uh, it was running out of a computer sitting under my desk, and we made it available. You might call it uh, the first MOOC lab, if you will, but MOOC, the term MOOC wasn't coined in 2003. And so we're using it on campus. We were using it for uh, learners all over the world. And then uh, uh, in 2008, many technologies came together. There was cloud computing. There was video distribution at scale. Uh, there was uh, uh, gamification. Um, and there was, uh, uh, you know, uh, mobile. All of these technologies uh, came together and uh, sort of the perfect storm of technology uh, to make education available online. And, and of course, we had convinced ourselves, I had convinced myself that you can do online labs. And so many of us at MIT uh, were brainstorming together uh, with MIT leadership. Um, as we were all brainstorming together at MIT, um, we felt that we could... Uh, that create a virtual MIT. And then in uh, 2011, there was a 
announcement where we launched MITx. And as MIT leadership and I were brainstorming about it, in the early days, we didn't have a name for it. And everything was moving so quickly. Um, uh, we had a code name, and we codenamed it MITx. And on December 19th of 2011, we announced MITx. It was a code name. MIT's involvement in edX and so on is still called MITx. And so um, MIT leadership and Harvard leadership were also chatting at that time, and they decided to partner. And edX was then uh, launched as a collaboration of MIT and Harvard in May of, uh, you know, uh, in May of 2012. Um, and we launched edX as a nonprofit uh, open source platform uh, for online learning where we would partner with other universities, MIT and Harvard included, offer courses on this platform, and learners from around the world would come and take the courses. Very, very cool. Now, what, just in case if uh, you know, some of our listeners are not familiar, what, what is a MOOC? So I've, I've never liked the word uh, MOOC. Uh, that said, um, a MOOC is, a, is an online, a MOOC is an online course with certain properties. Um, M stands for massive, O stands for uh, open, and then OC stands for online course. It's a massive open online course. And so um, on edX, the first course on edX was a course that my colleagues and I taught on circuits and electronics. And uh, some of my colleagues actually built a new virtual lab. Uh, uh, Chris Sturman and Jacob White and others built this amazing new tool uh, for virtual labs, uh, uh, which certainly had, uh, had been working on in a earlier version as WebSim. And so that first course that we launched, so it was massive. It was an online course. It was massive and will open in that anybody could come and enroll in the course. There were no admissions requirements and so on. So you could enroll in the course for free and you can take, uh, you know, take and learn the material. Uh, and we also offered a certificate in the course. And so that was a move. It's a massive open online course. Um, and the technology we built enabled hundreds of thousands of students to come in and take, uh, take these courses. Got it. Okay. Now, What's the current scale for edX in terms of you know number of courses offered, number of learners? So edX has grown uh, exponentially since the early days. Uh, uh, today, we've scaled in every single dimension. Um, we have uh, about 145 institutional partners, including MIT, Harvard, Oxford, Berkeley, Columbia, and others. Uh, we have uh, over 20 million students learners. Uh, we have uh, over 2,600 courses on our platform. And, uh, uh, and one of the things we did early on at edX is that we released our platform as open source. Now, I should make very clear, we are a nonprofit. We were founded as a nonprofit by MIT and Harvard. And, uh, you know, as nonprofits, uh, to, to, uh, we felt that it would certainly benefit the world if a, a scalable education platform were available for anybody to use. And so, we released edX as open source. It's called open edX. And there's uh, 25 million additional learners on open edX for a total of 45 million learners on the edX platform, including open edX. That is and absolutely so amazing. The scale is, so the scale is absolutely massive. Um, and we've also launched a number of radical new credentials as we innovate in education. It's extraordinary. It's such a scale. And so like, I, it was very meaningful as far as making this nonprofit. And there's just such an amazing social mission attached to what, what everyone is doing there. Absolutely. I, I think the, uh, 
the mission is really a big part of why we are all doing this. Uh, you know, certainly from my own story. Um, I was the director of the computer science and AI lab, had a big research group, and I was teaching on campus. And uh, um, when uh, uh, you know MIT leadership, uh, you know, uh, asked me to pitch in as uh, CEO of edX, it was just an incredible opportunity. And uh, and uh, I think that uh, the mission is amazing. Uh, we've been educating people, and uh, and uh, we offer everything from individual courses to sequence small sequences of courses with uh, a radical new credential called the MicroMasters program, uh, all the way to complete master's degrees. And so uh, uh, we've innovated quite a bit in the credentialing space as well, and certainly innovated in kind of the scale of quality education. Now, one of the things, so someone shared a report with me that said 47% of US workers have a high probability of seeing their job automated over the next 20 years. So how do you think online learning platforms like edX is uh, addressing this issue of people kind of re retraining themselves to stay current and ultimately employable. Addressing the reskilling problem goes to the heart of our mission. You know, various studies show that, you know, um, one in two people on this planet will be out of a job. Uh, it's a variation of the same statistic uh, that you had. Um, and this is by 2030, 2035 because of automation and so on. What's going to happen is that, jobs will be transformed into new jobs. And so we have a planet scale upskilling challenge on our hands. Uh, the jobs will be in uh, you know, uh, various forms of uh, tech development, AI and machine learning. Now, there'll be a lot of automation happening. Now, people will need to interact with each other. Business skills will be important. Soft skills will be important. So a lot of new skills, both tech skills and humanistic skills, soft skills, Will be uh, uh, will be very important, and edX plays a very big role in that. Um, so let's say, for example, you are a worker, uh, you are in your mid thirties, you have a couple of kids, and you uh, uh, have a job or don't have a job. Uh, you've been laid off. Uh, what do you do? How do you upskill? What do you do? Uh, the odds of being able to pay sixty, seventy thousand dollars for a master's degree or for another bachelor's degree and going to campus for two years. Four years, uh, to me, seems unthinkable. Mm -hmm. However, uh, what if you're able to take uh, modular online programs and complete them in three to six months and learn new skills that can help you with jobs? And so that's what we do. So at edX, uh, uh, we have MicroMasters programs as an example. So we have 50 MicroMasters programs in topics like AI, robotics, uh, business, um, leadership and so on, where it's open admissions. So you don't have to go, if you're 30, 35, you don't have to go looking for your GRE scores or SAT scores or, or recommendation letters in your grades. It's open admissions. And because of technology, we're able to scale. So we don't have to down select to a small group that comes to campus. It's all online. And so they can learn online, learn flexibly from their home, from their work. And it sort of enables people to upskill in place. Education comes to you when it comes to you online. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, we have radical new credentials, uh, for example, MicroMasters credentials, where you can earn this new credential called a MicroMasters from places like MIT in manufacturing, from, UC, from UCSD in data science, or from Columbia in AI. 
And so now you're working somewhere and you get a MicroMasters in AI, you put that on your resume, put that on your LinkedIn profile, and the learners are telling us that uh, uh, they're getting invited to job interviews when they see that. Um, you know, one of our learners was Mia Radish. Uh, she did the MicroMasters from MIT in supply chain management, completely online. And she put that on her uh, LinkedIn profile um, and she got an interview from Akamai and, uh, and, and you know, got a new job uh, and doubled her salary, uh, she tells us. So there are any number of stories of learners like that that are upskilling and reskilling uh, using these modular online programs. And, and the modular online programs are critical because for upskilling, uh, it's hard to imagine you going to campus. So online is important. It's hard to imagine that you'll be able to find two to three or four years worth of time to get a new degree or a new credential. So we need modular programs that you can upskill just as, uh, you know, just as necessary. It needs to be open admissions because uh, you're not going to be able to go and find your information to get admission somewhere when you're 30 or 40 or, or 50. Um, finally, uh, the credential is very important. Uh, it needs to be a credential with gravitas. And each MicroMasters program is endorsed by a corporation. So, for example, MIT Supply Chain MicroMasters is endorsed by uh, Walmart. And, and, and probably most importantly, uh, you can start, and most importantly, you can learn for free. The videos and the exercises are free. But if you want the credential, you want the graded exams and, and the graded assignments, you have to pay a small fee. So you can get a MicroMasters for about $1,000 to $1,500 from a place like MIT or Columbia with open admissions. And uh, each MicroMasters is about 25% to 50% of a master's degree. And you can get that for about $1,000 to $1,500 when a comparable master's, full master's may cost sixty, $70,000. Mm -hmm. oh, that's so, so amazing what that. you guys are doing. And obviously, it's, this is a very... Um, mission-driven company that I'm sure the employees are, you know, they're drawn to this mission. So what's your plan as far as uh, growth of the team and, and hiring for edX? So we are, we are growing very rapidly as well. Uh, we, uh, most of our team is uh, in the heart of uh, Kendall Square in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, we have a team in uh, Barcelona uh, as well. And we have uh, several team members in other parts of the world, like India and so on as well. And so we are certainly hiring. Uh, we have positions open in the Cambridge area uh, in uh, software, uh, product management, uh, software development, um, in marketing and sales. Um, so we are hiring in uh, a number of dimensions in educational service, in a number of number of uh, um, areas. And we're also hiring uh, at the leadership level. Um, we have an opening for a, a VP of marketing, uh, we have an opening right now. We're looking for a, uh, uh, a VP of sales. So uh, we are constantly recruiting and hiring. And, uh, and as a purpose-oriented uh, nonprofit, uh, we behave like an innovative, cutting-edge startup. Uh, this is just a great place to work. There's a lot that powers edX. You know? So you touched upon that as far as like engineering and product. Like there's so many aspects of your platform that ultimately you know, the operations must have a lot of moving parts. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we are a startup company in the B2C space. We are a, we are a software platform company, and uh, we, built, we have built a software platform. So we have people in uh, engineering that build the software. We have people in product that design product and 
build user interfaces. We have people in uh, support that support all our cloud hosting. We have people in education services that work with our 145 partner institutions to help them get their content on uh, edX. We have business development um, where we work with companies and government institutions for partnerships. Uh, we have sales where uh, edX has both D2C where we also have a huge B2B operation where we work with corporations where corporations are looking to upskill their employees and they come to edX and we built uh, uh, mechanisms to enable corporations to work directly with us. So we're hiring so we are hiring salespeople that can sell into uh, uh, enterprises. Uh, we have people we need to hire in HR and marketing. Uh, you know, it's 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 a uh, it's a, uh, a business to consumer, business to business uh, startup company. That's who we are. Well, the um, technology is obviously a core component of education now. I have uh, two girls; they're thirteen and fifteen, so seventh and ninth grade. And, um, you know, the, the, everything day to day is technology driven. So w which areas of education do you think are still ripe for disruption? Well, I think, uh, all of education will change. I think, uh, we will see a transformation in all aspects of education, how education is delivered. I think education will become modular. People will be looking for, but in high school, college level work and get prepared for college, address the college readiness challenge. Once they go to campus, uh, they might not spend four years on campus. They may just spend two or three years on campus for the campus experience. Mm -hmm. uh, they may go to work. And while they work, they will continue learning throughout life. And education becoming modular, education becoming digital and online is going to be very important because people are going to be learning both on campus and online. And they're going to see lifelong learning. Uh, which is going to be a huge transformation. The people will be learning throughout life and continually upskilling and reskilling themselves um, as the whole future of work uh, changes before our eyes. Uh, the topics that we learn will also change. Um, certainly, uh, uh, some of the uh, tech skills like uh, AI and computer science and, and machine learning and so on are important. At the same time, uh, it is very interesting to note that uh, the more humanistic skills will become even more important as jobs get automated away because uh, we still uh, haven't quite figured out uh, for robots and, uh, and AI how to mimic the human emotion and, uh, and empathy and, and uh, some of these skills. And so soft skills, whether it's critical thinking, communications, teamwork, collaboration, these are all going to be important. And uh, one of the things we've done on edX is that as we talk to employers, to figure out what kind of skills they're looking for. A soft skills and leadership comes up again and again and again. And so we've launched certificate programs on edX, for example, in soft skills. And those are one of the most popular with employers. And a soft skills program from the Rochester Institute of Technology on edX uh, teaches critical thinking, communication, storytelling, uh, uh, teamwork, and so on. I, I am so glad to hear that piece of it. The soft skills is definitely a piece that... Um, I worry about, right? Because of the iPhone generation of people that are looking at their screens way too much, in my opinion, and, um, you know, not having those skills to communicate with people one-on-one -on -one, uh, to properly, you know, have a job interview, to be able to handle conversations while you are at work. Those are skills that I, you know, so my background is recruiting that I, I, I was worried about future generations being able to do that. So I'm glad that that's recognized and that's offered. Absolutely. I think uh, 
you know, uh, I wrote a blog post on uh, on why soft skills are going to be enduring and very important. And in there, I quoted uh, Mark Cuban, uh, who said that uh, uh, in the future, uh, the tech skills may not be as important as the humanities. And so uh, I really encourage people to uh, uh, to not just focus on STEM, but also on the humanities. And, and uh, because the humanities uh, enable you to become a better citizen, they enable you to become a better thinker. Um, they enable you not just to know how to solve the problem, but they help you to think about what problem should you be solving. And so um, I think all of these things will become even more important as the more mechanistic STEM items uh, get, uh, uh, get uh, automated away. I'm always fascinated by people's routines. So I know every day is probably a moving target. There's no typical day for you. But, uh, you know, in, in general practice, what, what, what does, you know, a day look like? Is, you know, like how much do you typically get for sleep or do you try to get? And then, you know, how does your day start? And then, you know, how does your day flow through from there? You know, uh, <laughs> every day is different. Uh, I'm traveling half the time. So, uh, so let's focus on the time that I'm not traveling. Uh, you know, I try to get uh, uh, six to seven hours of uh, uh, sleep. Uh, I love uh, sleep. Uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, a typical day might involve a number of things. Um, one of them is uh, in the last few weeks, for example, um, you know, I'm not only on the leadership team of edX, but I'm also a client, a customer of edX. I teach uh, several courses. Uh, I'm an MIT professor. I teach several MIT courses on edX. And so the last few weeks I've been working on getting my courses ready for the next uh, next launch. So I'm a user of our platform uh, in teaching as well. Uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, parts of the day is spent in meetings with uh, colleagues uh, as we uh, uh, both review how things are, maybe also brainstorm and discuss strategy. Um, uh, some sometimes meetings or uh, phone calls with partners to strategize on kind of the future as to where we all should be going together. Uh, there's also uh, some amount of time in uh, planning and uh, you know, in terms of edX strategy and planning. Uh, uh, you know, there's also uh, there's always the omnipresent presentation that you have to work on or. or uh, or the speech, or the uh, or the or uh, or uh, other such. Uh, I also spend a fair amount of time on communications externally, uh, uh, whether it's uh, doing a podcast uh, uh, with you, Keith, or mm-hmm. or you know meeting with uh, uh, reporters and journalists and getting the word out on the kind of work that we're doing. Also meeting with customers. So you know, you know what's amazing as I talk about this is that uh, virtually everything that I do uh, has to do with interacting with people. Well, it is amazing work that you're doing, and I, you know, you're you're the type of person I can tell you you like to juggle a lot of different things. Uh, you know, never a dull moment. But when you have an off chance to kind of like just relax for a bit, uh, like what do you like to do outside of work for fun? Oh, I, I, I do uh, uh, I do a lot of things uh, for fun. You know, I love uh, uh, I love building things with my hands, uh, and I don't mean computer software. Um, you know, I mean, you know, physical things. So uh, uh, whether it's building a, uh, a tree house uh, for my kids uh, or whether it's uh, uh, putting down a new uh, uh, tile floor in my uh, in the bathroom or, or uh, you know, uh, gardening or 
you know, uh, using my chainsaw and uh, uh, trimming up. The, you know, I love chainsaws. I have a bunch of chainsaws. And so, uh, you know, using my chainsaws to trim some of the trees in the backyard. So, so I really, really enjoy uh, working with my hands. And, and frankly, uh, you know, uh, frankly, there are days when I tell myself, uh, um, you know, maybe I should uh, go into uh, maybe I should go into landscaping or something. I really, I really enjoy working with my hands and and building things and seeing things grow and 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 and, and I love nurturing things. Well, maybe that is a you know the next chapter of your career could be uh, landscaping and uh, having a, a business in that world. So, <laughs> well, Anaz, well, thanks so much for taking the time for sharing all the amazing work that uh, you're doing with edX in your professional background as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, as, as you did mention, edX is continuing to grow. So if people are interested in checking out job opportunities, they can go to VentureFizz and check out their listings there. So go to VentureFizz.com backslash edX for a complete list of openings. Anant, thanks again for your time. Thank you. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.